0: He's distressed. He's hard pressed. His nation is at risk. His health is failing. He's afraid of dying. But his false theology cannot bail him out. It can never help you.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogie, senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're looking at the interaction between the prophet Elijah and King Ahaziah, part of our biographical study of this Old Testament prophet. Our text is from 2 Kings chapter 1, where we find the king, having fallen, sends messengers to Philistia to inquire of the god Baal whether he'll live. Elijah confronts the king's messengers and ultimately Ahaziah himself and reproves them for their actions. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he explains what the implications were of the king's actions.
0: When King Ahaziah sends messengers to Philistia, he implies that there's no God in Israel. When he appeals to Beelzebub, he he is implying by his decision that God is non-existent, or irrelevant, or inadequate to meet his needs. And when we turn to others first, Instead of to the Living God, we are suddenly confessing by our decision the inadequacy and the insufficiency of God to handle our dilemmas. Besides all that, Aaz I didn't want to consult a man of God because every time he did, he didn't like the answer. He opposed the word of God, and people are no different today. People today want answers that's pleasing to what they want to hear. And so they will find counselors and pastors who will tell them what they want to hear. Listen to what God warned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the Bible. That's why pastors aren't preaching the Bible anymore. They just baptize a verse here and there to make them look Christian. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Many people today don't really want to know what God wants to say to them, so they get a pastor. Oh, yeah, you can sleep with your girlfriend. No problem. Oh, you're attracted to someone of the same sex. no problem. We'll marry you in this church. Teachers in accordance to their own. I'll have a drink with you. Come on, we'll go out and get buzzed together. That's the day we live in. That's what this king is like. And we want a God who will conform to our plans and our wants and our wishes. And there are churches across America that are just like that. And so, Ahaziah wants an answer, but he doesn't want it from God's man. He wants it from the false god Beelzebul. And the message that Elijah is going to deliver is both a question and a judgment. Look at verse 4. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord... You shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. The judgment is that God is displeased, and so this illness is terminal. And when we come to verse 5, Ahaziah's messengers who, who never go to Ekron are already back reporting Elijah's encounter. And the human author of Second Kings figures you're intelligent enough to, to know that the encounter took place so he doesn't record it. But we read in verse five, when the messengers returned to him, he said to him, why have you returned? Why are you back so soon? There's no way you could have gotten Akron and back. Why is this mission aborted? They said to him, verse six, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. Now that's not what you want to hear when you're sick. You don't want someone to come and predict your death. So the king wants to know, who is this guy who challenged and trumped his authority? He knew there was only a few people in the whole kingdom who would have the courage to do such a thing. Continue reading with me in verses 7 and 8. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? They answered him, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And he said, it's Elijah the dishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. The S V renders it, he wore a garment of hair. They paraphrase it. But understand that a prophet would have a mantle. We'll study this more next time. A cloak, usually made of animal skin, much like the women in the 1960s would wear those mink stalls. Always thought those were interesting. And some of them that also had just a little head of, the, of what animal it is that they were killing. In either case, it was basically their mark that they were a prophet of God and so when you get a message that you're going to die that's not what you want to hear so you try to get the prophet to try to get him to change his mind you try to get him to rethink his thoughts and to renew his prophecy and you and i need to realize that if we speak the truth you're going to upset some people and the more godless the culture becomes the more people you're going to upset listen you need to prepare your college student some of them go off to the university and they're just in shock. All of a sudden, they're ostracized. They have no friends because they won't watch porn on the internet. They won't go to these sex parties. They won't drink till they can't stand up. This is happening in South Carolina and our universities and the faculty is promoting it. You've got to prepare them because they're going to face it in these days. So Ahaziah sends one of his captains with his 50 men that he leads. Look at verse nine. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him and behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill. And he said to him, "O man of God, the king says, come down. Now he recognizes that as one of the king's representatives that this is a man of God. And while the king should have heeded Elijah's word, he's trying to get Elijah to heed his word. And with complete contempt for the word of God, he goes to get Elijah the prophet. He's just the opposite of King Hezekiah. Put out in the margin, 2 Kings 20. Go home and read that this afternoon. Isaiah the prophet tells Hezekiah he's going to die. And Hezekiah falls on his face And God, because of his humility, spares his life and promises him another 15 years. By contrast, this arrogant king sends a band of soldiers to arrest the prophet to drag him before his throne. Now, listen, he should have respected and repented. Even his own daddy, we studied at Ahab, when he was told that his death was forthcoming, he showed remorse and God in his mercy extended his life, giving him more opportunity to repent, but not Ahaziah. His plans is to have this prophet arrested and imprisoned so that he can teach this prophet a thing or two about his word that it means something. But listen, you cannot imprison the word of God. You can have a pastor who can lie to you, but it will not change the truth of what God has written in his word. And the same sun that melts the better butter can harden the clay. And this man, when he hears the revelation of scripture, his heart only gets harder. Now remember, this is Ahab's son. He grew up in the home with Ahab as his daddy and Jezebel as his mother. He witnessed... How God, through Elijah the prophet, answered his prayer. And for three and a half years, it was a drought. He knew all about how God literally brought a ball of fire down from heaven on the sacrifice and destroyed everything right down to the rocks around it. And you would think, oh, my parents blew it, but I'm not going to. But there's going to be a showdown. And God always wins. It may seem like we're losing, friend, but we are going to win in the end. God's victory will be realized. Look at verse 10. Elijah replied to the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. 50. Now, the fact that Elijah repeats, I am a man of God, and they address him as such shows an important issue, that God's reputation is here at stake. And Elijah's statement, in essence, is a challenge, whether God and his word is in charge or whether this king and his command is in charge. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And of course, the only thing that's left is a black spot on the earth of ash. Now remember what Abraham asked in Genesis 18 before God burned Sodom and Gomorrah into oblivion. He asked the question, shall not the God of all the earth deal justly? And of course the answer is yes. Which reminds me not only is this king responsible These men who are serving this king are equally responsible for God. Now, in verse 11, we're introduced to a second group where another captain comes with his 50. Notice, he's a little bolder than the first. So he again sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. How would you like to be in that group? Second try. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, calm down quickly. Now, both captains have their own brand of arrogance. One comes with royal authority. The other arrogantly says, you come and you come right now, step on it. Elijah replied to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Whoosh! And they're all destroyed. In a split second, They are consumed much like what God did on top of Mount Carmel. Now, the liberal scholars, they hate this text. And they say this is another reason why the Bible's not inspired. Elijah's unjust. Hey, 102 people have been cooked into oblivion. You can just write over this, untrue. But God is the God of justice. And all of these men knew what had taken place in Israel under Ahab. They should have obeyed the revelation of God, but instead they served a wicked Adolf Hitler of sorts. Listen, if if Elijah's request was wrong, God would not have answered it, but he did. Understand the intent of these two military contingents that come. Ahaziah, he did not consult with Elijah. He had already rejected Elijah's word. He is opposing God with everything in him. He's not inviting Elijah to have a dialogue, to have dinner together. He's inviting him to liquidate him. And I suspect that these probably first two groups were volunteers. But even if per se there was a real believer in it, they would have been swept into heaven. In either case, I know God is just. Uh, This envoy, they, they should have never left. But they did. I mean, what happened on top of Mount Carmel? What happened to the first group should have scared the daylights out of the second group, but it doesn't. Look at verse 13. So he again sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. When the third captain of 50 went up, he came down and bowed down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, "O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So this third captain with his 50, he doesn't come in a spirit of arrogance, but in a spirit of humility. And the Hebrew text literally reads, he knelt on his knees, but he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Because on the one hand, he wants to follow orders. He wants to keep his head. But on the other hand, he wants to obey God and he wants to keep his soul. And so here in verse 14, he says, O man of God, please have mercy on me. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. What is he doing? He's acknowledging the source of the fire. It came down from heaven. God himself sent it. But now let my life be precious in your sight. He pleads, he kneels, he begs, he trembles for mercy, and so he lives. Now, some people object that people can be led to repentance by fear. But the Bible teaches there's a godly fear that leads to repentance. And some people listening to me, you ought to be shivering in your shoes this morning. Because hell is real. And you may have written it off in your mind and that you're going to pull this off and you'll come on your terms. But God says today is a day of salvation. Listen, better to tremble and repent and be alive than to be dead and become carbon ash. So this passage reminds me, among other things, that there are times when you will share the gospel and it appears like no one's listening. But someone was listening this day. This captain was. And so the instruction from the angel of the Lord is clear. He demonstrates grace. Notice, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went, de- went down with him to the king. Understand, God, God doesn't enjoy consuming people. Had the first group, had the second group, for that matter, asked for mercy, God would have readily have shown it. And even if the captains had refused Ahaziah and were killed in order to obey God, God would have been in control. Listen, God is not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. I can't help but read this section of Scripture and be reminded with the disciples in the New Testament. Let me read it to you. Lord, do do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Listen to what Ezekiel, the prophet, was instructed by God to tell the people of Israel in his day. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his evil, from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. God, no doubt, has a tear in his eyes when he brings judgment. Look at verse 16. Then he said to them, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? The problem was that the king of Israel had substituted a true source of revelation for a false source. Look, I don't care what the law says. I don't care what man's law says. If it's totally against God's law, don't substitute man's way of thinking for what God has said. And he had substituted a false God for the one true God. He's distressed. He's hard-pressed. His nation is at risk. His health is failing. He's afraid of dying. But his false theology cannot bail him out. It can never help you. Thus, says the Lord, because you've sent messengers to inquire Beelzebub, is there not a God in Israel? So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. There's no interview. Elijah, Elijah just announces to Ahaziah, eyeball his eyeball, to eyeball, and he's gone. Now, quickly and finally, and briefly, And beyond Ahaziah's disastrous resolution and Elijah's divine reply, I want us to think about a Christian's decisive response. A Christian's decisive response. What we need so desperately today are some true Christians who will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read verse 15 again. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Now, this indicates that Elijah was a little bit nervous about delivering the message. And that's why the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid of him. Do you know why some of us will not stand up for Jesus? Because we fear men. We're just plain scared. and Like Elijah, we're not sure how people are going to react. Remember in that chapter of Scripture, as the Lord prepares his 12 apostles to go out and preach... He records for us in Matthew chapter 10, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. We've seen that verse several times in our exposition of this prophet. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they called the head of the household, here it is again, the head of the house, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? He's saying, look, if they say I'm working for the devil, that I'm in league with Satan, what are they going to say about you? They're going to say the same thing. So listen to the counsel that Jesus gives them. Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the rooftops. He's using hyperbole to underscore his Message. Proclaim it from the rooftops. What you're learning in your quiet time. What God is showing you in your ABF. What you're learning from the pulpit. Go public with it. Be not afraid. I mean, here's Elijah. He knows it's a real possibility. He could lose his life. He's not like, give me a martyr's badge. Nobody enjoys dying. You think those people, dozens of them now, the Muslims have cut their heads off. You think they enjoyed it? That they were going to leave their families behind and their grandchildren? Not on your life. Elijah didn't say, well, Lord, look, you told me you're going to kill them. It'll just be our secret. Just do it without me having to tell them. And so Jesus assures us like he assures Elijah. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Men can only kill the body. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the living God who will destroy body and soul forever in a place of eternal judgment. Now the early church was persecuted verbally, they were persecuted physically, as they are being all across the world today. And we can thank God, at least right now, even in post-Christian America, that for the most part, our persecution is not physical. But I want to tell you, if we do not stand up in this dark hour, hell will rule. And even if it does rule, it does not change that you have a responsibility, as I do, to preach the word and so knowing the character of God he's telling us look here's why you don't have to be afraid are not two sparrows sold for cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father the cheapest little bird that you can buy in the open market is under the watch care of God and if God is watching the cheapest little bird won't he watch over you oh yes he will A a two-for-a-penny bird is watched by God. He's watching you. In fact, then he shows how personal his providence is. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I'm told that the average person has 140,000 hairs on his head, and he loses about 75 hairs a day, though some of you I know are in the accelerated program. In either case, God knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Don't be afraid, Jesus is saying. God is monitoring every single detail of your life. first 31, so do not fear. You are more valuable than sparrows. I want you to understand, you go public for me. You can shout it out, because whatever happens to you, even if it's death, it is only allowed under the providence of God. We need some Elijahs in our day who will go public Too many sketty cat Christians who are afraid of what people are gonna think. Yes, God wants to meet your needs and answer your prayers, but that's only half the story. The other half is cross-bearing. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. we're not talking just about joining a church. We're talking about being his ambassador, his representative for Christ in the midst of a godless generation. Therefore, Jesus said, brings it to conclusion, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Have you ever gone public, some of you listening? I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just a moment. Now, let me share three timeless applications as we close our time. Number one, you should be afraid to find out about the future apart from Scripture. This passage has much to say in the day in which we live. Among other things, it reminds me that God hates the occult. Ahaziah was in the mess he was in because he went outside of the realm of the word of God and he went inside to the demonic world with Beelzebub. And there are a great many of people today who want to know the future and they're not looking in scripture. They're looking to the demonic realm. Listen, when President Reagan, and I heard him give his testimony once in 1983, he was a born again Christian, but his wife, sadly, unless she repented on her deathbed, was not. And Nancy Reagan used to regularly consult her astrologists as to where the United States was going to go. Hillary Clinton would get her direction by trying to communicate with Eleanor Roosevelt. According to Pew Research last month, 30% of Americans believe in astrology, and the percentage gets higher and higher the lower you go to millennials into Generation Z. God warned in Leviticus 19, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. He said in Leviticus 20, verse 6, as for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person. And we'll cut them off from among his people. In other words, you don't play around with this stuff. God doesn't like it when we go outside of his word. And yes, there are supposedly 70 million Americans every single day who consult their horoscope. This is nothing to be played around with. You're toying with the demonic, you're opening a door to evil and wickedness in your family. Second, beyond the only legitimate way to discover the future found in the Bible, you should be afraid of God's dire warnings. I've taught the scriptures long enough to know that when you teach a passage like this where 102 people are smoked to death, that some people think this is just a cruel demonstration of power. But it's not. It's an expression of God's grace to keep... Ahaziah's leadership in check of his leadership to lead the people astray to realize that God is sovereign that he is in control and so the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 17 immediately and concisely records his death like what else would you expect a major lesson is that God does what he says that his threats are not empty and I should equally say he will keep all of his promises for good for you as well Third and finally, you should be afraid to die without genuine faith in Jesus Christ. In my lifetime, hundreds of people have told me that they're not afraid of dying when they should be because they don't know Christ. And people manufacture all kinds of false beliefs why they are comfortable. Hindus, they say, I'll be reincarnated again. And depending on their goodness will depend on how they will be reincarnated. The scripture says it's appointed for a man to die just one time, and after that comes the judgment. Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses say that they'll enter into some form of limbo soul sleep when the Bible teaches there's a resurrection of life and there is a resurrection of judgment. Roman Catholics say, well, you'll go to purgatory for a period of time. You'll suffer for a period of time. And then you'll be released from purgatory and shot up into heaven. Purgatory is found nowhere in the Bible. You're either absent from the body, present with the Lord, or you're absent from the body, and you are in a place called Hades that will someday become the lake of fire. Scripture is clear. Look, fire fell down on these unbelieving soldiers that day, but there's another fire that will fall and it will last for all of eternity. And if you go to hell, it won't be God's fault. It will be your fault, and you will be trespassing because God doesn't want you to go to hell. He prepared hell for the devil and his angels. And he will send you to hell with a tear in his eye as he expresses his just retribution because you rejected his son who died and bled and was raised for you. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Don't put the spirit of God off. He's the spirit of truth. He's speaking to somebody and you need to come.
1: To listen again to today's message, Making Spiritual Decisions, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org and search for program ELI8. Tomorrow we begin a look at Elijah's departure, part of our study of this Old Testament prophet. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.